this guy has so much creativity in his little <laughs> brain and pinky finger and whatever else. I'm so pleased to introduce to you Brian Cloudis. Let me tell you a little bit about Brian if you haven't heard his name. Uh, if you're from the Atlanta area, then you probably have at some point. But he has history in theater and dance. He got a BA from Amherst College. Uh, he got an MFA in acting from University of South Carolina. And then he's performed like all over the world, Tokyo, <laughs> London, Canada, Central and South America, the Caribbean. L.A., New York, um, all over. And then he has gotten awarded so many great things here, even here in Atlanta. I mean, the top artistic director, as well as one of the Atlantans to watch by Creative Loafing. And what you probably know him or how he's kind of made his mark here in Atlanta is that he's a founder and artistic director of Serenby Playhouse. And if you don't know what Serenby is, I describe it to everyone as like the closest thing to a utopia that I've ever experienced. It's a it's a planned community. They've got, um, I mean, all the houses there are just gorgeous. It, they're very committed to being like environmentally responsible, but also supporting arts and creativity. And so, so Brian, I'm so happy to have you on today. And I have just loved all of the uh, the performances that I've gotten to experience at Serenby Playhouse. So thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's, it's great to be here. So tell us a little bit, for those not familiar with Serenby Playhouse mm. and all that you do, like tell us a little bit more about it. Um, cool, yeah. So like you said, I sort of fell into to this whole thing. You know, I didn't plan on being an environmental site-specific theater <laughs> producer and director. Um, so at some point, I think we'll talk about that story. But yeah, so my whole thing that I do is that I produce theater in site-specific environments. So I find a location that really inspires me, and then I find material that works in that location. Mm -hmm. And so I marry the setting with the material and then pop these performances out of really unexpected places. So our most recent production, Little Mermaid, we staged that in a lake in Serenby because Little Mermaid's supposed to be on water, Mm -hmm. in water. So we built this really beautiful stage um, out on water and something I always love doing is also reinventing classics or putting a spin on it. So when we do a really commercial title like Little Mermaid, we want to make sure it has our footprint. So the whole concept was this trash to treasure and trying to make a statement about quantifying all the garbage that goes into our ocean. So I would say about 80% of the set and costumes were built out of reclaimed materials. Yeah. So like, you know, Ursula's costume, you couldn't even tell it. It was actually made out of black bubble wrap. So, no. you know, we re- we forced our, um, our designers to use these unconventional materials wow. and show that there is beauty and trash and that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just takes a little bit wor- of work and kind of a different eye to, to, to notice the beauty in the everyday. I'm really yeah. big on, um, you know, beauty's all around us. You know, mm-hmm. I think that we sort of put these blinders on and go through life. So I'm always trying to be fully present and aware and find beauty in everything. Um, and that's what's really, I think, unique about my work is, you know, I, I don't have a theater. I don't create in the same black box space for every show. I'm in a new environment. So that is what really fuels me and gets me going is being in a new space because, the air inspires me, the water, the grass, all of those things that are natural and that have been there before we came in. So, mm. 
That's what I try to do. Yeah. And I saw a Target bag up there, and that definitely is beautiful to me. (laughs) Oh, don't get me started. I mean, Target is my therapy, you know? I was I don't have a therapist, but I have a Target right. run once a week. <laughs> Even like the dollar bin at the front, get me a big old Starbucks and just sort of rummage through those things that I don't really yeah. need. Right. But like no, for ten bucks, you can get a bag full of happiness. I mean, it is so true. Yeah. I'm totally changing that too to my husband. I'm not going to tell him I'm going to Target. I'm just saying I'm going to therapy. Exactly. He does like, not. Wow. He does not need to know. Yeah. No. <laughs> like this is Target. Like I'm a huge and their new men's line. Yes. Abs- good fellow. Like yes. I literally I went. And I was like, I need one of everything. It's really incredible. Like yeah. just like handfuls of clothes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a huge Target fan. So we are we record in the voiceover studio and the phone's ringing because I forgot to tur- take it off. So hold one moment oh, on please. the podcast. <laughs> studio. Okay, we're back. <laughs> that was just Nick calling. Hey, Nick. No worries. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about how Serenby Playhouse even came to be, uh, how that vision happened. Um, so I would love to say that I had this master plan of doing an outdoor site-specific theater. It was never part of you know my, my mental journey of what I thought my life looking like. Um, but I always say that, hey, you've got to listen to your gut. I'm really big about listening to my gut. And so I'll, I'll, I'll sort of... Go back to 10 years ago. Um, I was in New York as a working actor. It came from like a really commercial musical theater background, you know, actor, singer, dancer. And I was in New York about four years, and I hit this wall where I was just completely burned out, you know, and I'm such a family person. I miss my mom, my granny, and my sister. And I remember calling my sister one day when I was in New York and just being like, I'm I'm unhappy here, you yeah. know, and she said, just leave. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, you know? Because right. in my head, I thought success as an actor was being on Broadway, winning a Tony. Those were all things that I wanted to accomplish mm-hmm. by the time I was 30, you know? So for me, that is what quantified success. And then I hit that moment where I was like, I'm sort of unhappy here. And the, the turning point for me sort of making that decision is, you know, I worked all these random day jobs. Like I would wait tables and temp and be a doorman. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like all of these things you had to do to sort of get by. Um, And I, I found myself working with performers and they would be talking about like, oh, you know, I've done Broadway. I've done these national tours. And I was like, wait, I was like, so you get on Broadway and that's not it. And they were like, no, you do a Broadway show, it closes, and then you can have years and years before you do your next show. So for me, I was like, I don't know if I want that life. You know, like, I want to be an artist, I want to create, but I don't want to have these huge ups and downs. I really want to take control of my career. So when all of this was sort of bubbling in my head, I got cast in Tokyo Disney and moved to Japan for a year. And so when I got that contract, I packed everything up in my apartment and I shipped it home and I said, okay, I'm going to Japan for a year and this is my year to like figure out what my next step is. I knew I wasn't going back to New York. So when I went to Japan, I decided I wanted to go to grad school and get my my MFA in acting because I think grad school is a great sort of way to put off life. (laughs) So I was like, hey, this buys me three years to figure out what's next. Um, And MFA was great for me because I was like, hey, if I want to teach or anything, you know, the MFA in acting degree is a terminal degree. So I was like, that buys me a lot of more choices. So I got into University of South Carolina because I wanted to be near my family. I was feeling that Southeast pullback. And the summer before grad school, I was staying with my sister, who's in Mapleton. 
And she has a farm down Chattahoochee Hills as well. Um, and me and my sister are super tight. That's yeah. a separate conversation. <laughs> anyway, so I was staying with her, and um, she was like, hey, there's this new place called Serenby that's just open. She was like, it's it's magical. It's bizarre. It's like everything. Yeah. you know." So she was like, let's go check it out. So it was almost 10 years ago. And we drove down, and you know, you're like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you're like literally. You are like, where am I going? You're like, this can't yeah, be right. Yeah, GPS yeah. is taking yeah, me somewhere totally. wrong. It's like, you know, and I'm from like rural Alabama, so I totally get like beautiful <laughs> back roads. But I was like, where are we going? This is too far off yeah. the beaten path. And then all of a sudden, you know, you turn the corner. There's the Serenby sign, and it feels like you have literally turned into Brigadoon. You mm-hmm. know, it's so beautiful. And we turned in, and I just got this really weird feeling in my gut. And I just immediately felt connected to this land. And I did not know what that meant. I was just like very romanced immediately. And so I planted this little seed in my head and said there's something special about that community. Went to grad school and kept thinking about this Serenby community. I did not know a soul there. Nobody. Just thought it was a really cool, beautiful place. And then I went to grad school and was thinking about this Serenby community. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to email them. going to email them, introduce myself, and say, hey, there's something special about your community. I feel connected, and I would love to talk about the possibility of developing theatrical art in your community. Because I'd been an actor, and I was like, I don't – what am I going to hear? No. Right. Like, at that point, <laughs> exactly. it, it did not face me. As an actor, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. it's like, okay, okay no, okay, fine. great, next. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. it's, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a percentage game. <laughs> so I emailed them, introduced myself, and then they were like, oh, come come meet with us, you know? And so I went and met with them, and uh, I was like, yeah, I have this crazy idea about starting a theater company in your community. You know, I've, I've moved back to the Southeast. I'm wanting to kind of take control of my artistic life. And they said, well, that sounds great, but there's not a facility here. So what would be your answer to that? And I said, well, I've done outdoor theaters and acros. Let's just try it outdoors. And then if we get a following, we can build Serenby Playhouse, this like beautiful vintage theater on the square. And so they were like, okay, great. Put together a business proposal for us. And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, I had. Were you like, oh, my gosh, what is a business proposal? I mean, like, we're acting. In my head, I was like. (laughs) Uh, uh, what the heck is a right. business proposal? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then, but you know, on the front, I was like, absolutely. I was sure. like, I'll, I'll, yeah. get, I'll get you that in a, yeah, a yeah, week yeah. or so, no you know? <laughs> so I went home, went to Amazon, Googled, how do you start a nonprofit theater? Ordered three books on how to start a nonprofit company. Like, you know, crammed them in a couple of days, highlighted those books up and then put together a three-year business proposal. And lo and behold, they approved it. They gave me $15,000 my first year. I raised 25000 on my own. Oh my and so gosh. our first year, we produced that first summer season for $40,000. And then wow. fast forward to year nine, and now we're operating at $1.5 million. Oh, my gosh. Never lost a cent. Completely self-sustainable organization. And it just sort of happened organically and, like, took off like wildfire, you know? And for me as a... I had never produced theater or directed theater. I acted in plenty. So for me, I just kind of went into it blindly and listening to my gut. I wasn't afraid to fail because I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I think there's I was just I was just fearless because I was like, well, let's try some yeah, stuff. Sure. We'll see what sticks and I have nothing you had nothing to lose. I had nothing to yeah. lose. I'd hit a point in my life where I wasn't afraid of failure. And I had nothing to lose, so I just mm-hmm. went into it 100 miles an hour and fearless and then learned what didn't work as I went along, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Have you all, you mentioned, you know, going with your gut. Have you always kind of been that person that just listens to your gut? Or was there something that happened that you're like, you know, I probably should listen more? Yeah. The older I've gotten, the more I'm in tune with that. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that comes with kind of like age and maturity. Um, But I've definitely always been a, a firm believer in like things happen for a certain reason. So I've always had this mind about like, I know when things feel right. And then conversely, when I look back at my past, I've known when things in my gut did not feel right. And I went ahead mm. and then typically they failed. Doesn't, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but yeah, I'm, I think that I think that life is like doing everything you can. But I think there's this plan that we don't know about or we're not really yeah. privy to. And I think that either you can listen to, you know, if you're spiritual or religious yeah. or listen to your gut. But there is this power that is bigger than all sure. of us. And I think that you know, you know, meditation, yoga, all of that's kind of cutting away all of this noise to really mm. get to our gut or spirit and listen to things. So, but yeah, I'm a real big believer in my gut and trying to fine tune that listening ear to your to your inner. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you said at the beginning that you're just going to do kind of like wherever you could in Serenby and then right. build a space, but it just continues to be site specific. Yeah. So has that just been so um, successful that you guys haven't even thought about? Yeah. Well, you know, it was to? after the first, I'm a firm believer in whatever your, whatever business owner you are, you have to know who your audience is and you have to listen to them. You know, it's not your business. It is their business. It's not what you want. It's what your audience wants. Yes. If you want to be successful and make money. Right. Which I want both of those right. now. You absolutely. know what I mean? Yes. Because yes. we got to have our target yeah, runs. Absolutely. You know? We got to have our therapy <laughs> runs. We got to have our therapy runs to Target. <laughs> um, after season one, everyone, the thing they were all talking about is there's this new little theater company outside of Atlanta, and they're doing theater under the stars. It's outdoors, you know, because... Again, that first season we produced outdoors because we didn't have a lot of money. It was a necessity. And so then for year two, I was like, oh, well, you know, let's choose different locations in Serenby just to kind of mix it up. And then season two, again, they're like, oh, they're doing in different locations. And so then naturally people started calling us outdoor site-specific theater. Mm -hmm. That wasn't part of my, like, master plan. It's just what people started talking about. And it was something that wasn't going on in Atlanta at that time. And then in year four, I call that the game changer year for us. We produced hair and we did it in a wildflower meadow and we really made it feel like Woodstock. You know, we had hippies walking around and we had like tents popped up everywhere and like vintage scaffolding. And so from that point, season four is when people started calling us immersive. Yes. So we were immersive outdoor site specific and then in year four we remodeled our mission statement to be an exclusively outdoor site specific company Mm. and that's when people started buzzing nationally about what we were doing because we were taking these these shows like Miss Saigon and Hair and Little Mermaid and doing them in site specific epic outdoor ways Mm -hmm. that other companies weren't you know so I was like hey what do you do differently Focus on that and do it the absolute best you can. Yes, you know? totally. And I know we talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast, but a couple of years ago, um, Mike, my husband, and I got you know season tickets, and one of the first ones that we went to was Carousel, and it was so cool, you guys. So you go in, and it's like this like vintage carnival setup. I mean, there's this old Ferris wheel. There's these carnival games. They'll have drinks and snacks, and they all go with kind of the whatever performance that they're doing. 
Little Mermaid, they had like Swedish fish, which I was like, this is amazing. I love it. Probably from Target, I'm assuming. Yes, (laughs) probably, of course. I mean, it is more than just a performance. It's just, it's so incredible. I mean, if you are in the Atlanta area, even if you're not, it is totally worth it to make a weekend of it and go see one of the shows. I'm sure that there's probably a lot of challenges, though, for being outside all the time. I mean, Georgia weather, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, you know, I always say that Mother Nature is our leading lady. Mm -hmm. You know, the things we have to deal with are rain. That's Mm -hmm. the big one we do. We do not like the R word at Serenby Playhouse. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's, it's just about anticipating the... It's like bring your umbrella and then it won't rain. So we always just has to have to anticipate the worst case scenario. And now we have a backup sort of indoor venue when it ends up raining. But then interestingly enough, when we have those impromptu like performances that move indoors, they almost are the most magical because mm-hmm. you see the actors thinking on their feet and you're literally like a foot from these actors. So they're really intimate in a different way. You know, and I always try to relate what I do back to any type of business that you have to anticipate the needs of your customers. Anything that's going to upset them during the the experience, let them know before time so that way they're not shocked, you know? Mm-hmm. So we just try to anticipate the needs of yeah. being and also try to like be fun about it. Like, hey, y'all, it's going to be really hot out here. You're going to yeah. get eaten up by bugs. You yeah. know what I mean? And just like, you know, it's part of the like the fun of it, you mm-hmm. know? So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you say that even those sites kind of inspire you. Do you feel like there's any challenging part of the creative process of kind of coming up with all these different ideas or? I say there's two types of shows I do. There is one that the location comes first and there's one where the material comes first. Um, the ones where the location comes first, I find that the location like really fuels me throughout the process. And I find where we, we pick the material first, um, like Little Mermaid, we picked yeah. that first, knowing that we would choose a body of water. And then when we settled on that, it, it's a little bit different trying to kind of make it work, you know, because mm. when I've chosen the environment first, it's like naturally like there and going, you know, but when we were trying to fit a show into a different environment, it becomes a little bit more challenging. Just like, how do we make these logistical things work? Um, and that's really where our set designers come in as well. So I'll be like, hey, this side is perfect, but this is not working. That's not working. I need levels. I need it to feel more intimate. And that's where they come in and really create that that magical environment, you know? Wow. What's your favorite part about the creative process? Oh, God, it's so hard. Um, <laughs> I would say for me, it's being in the rehearsal room. That's mm-hmm. where I really see stuff come to life. Um, you know, as a director, I imagine a lot. So that is like mm-hmm. where where it all comes from. You know, like before I'm going to bed at night or while I'm driving, I love being in my car because it's the one place no one can get to me. Yeah. So like that's where a lot of like my sort of imagination work comes from. I'm not a director who's going to come in and say, okay, this actor moves stage left and plants there. I, was like, I think that's sort of really stilted. And that's not where my... My sort of process is I create this like really evocative world in my imagination. I lay it out for the actors and then we create it together. You know, for That's me, so it's cool. a very collaborative yeah. process. So I cast really amazing actors and they come in and I always say best idea in the room wins. So I try to create an environment where everyone is free to make mm. bold choices. That's I say I say. Make a bold choice. I'd rather it be really wrong or really right. I don't (laughs) like this, like, oh, I'm going to just sort of teeter around and stick my toe in the water. So I like really bold choices in everything, you know? Which is why you want to be an actor anyways, right? Yes. You don't want to just be a robot. No. (laughs) 
You That's do not, not you do that. You do not want to. I always say, like, you know, all of acting class is just trying to get us free to follow our impulses. Mm-hmm. It's like that gut thing we're talking about. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, as an actor, you listen to what is in here, mm-hmm. and then you do. You know, I don't think acting is talking a lot. You know, in the rehearsal, I was like, hey, we're talking too much. Let's just get up and do some stuff. Mm-hmm. We can sort of, sort of over-intellectualize some things. And I was like, no, no, no. It's like, we need to feel it. We mm-hmm. don't need to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And then when it feels right, hey, remember what that felt like. You know, I don't even need to know what it felt like for you. But as long as you acknowledge what that felt like, let's recreate that the next go around, right, you know? Right, right. Was there any defining moment for you as an actor to even get to that point? Because I feel like that's, I mean, what you're talking about, too, is a journey that I think a lot of actors have to even go on. And yeah. It takes a while for them to kind of figure it out, or some people yeah. longer than others. But Yeah, I mean, I always, I say that the journey is constantly going. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, I still act occasionally. Yeah. You know, I was in cabaret. Um, and, but uh, interestingly enough, I, w- I will say that, you know, cabaret has been this defining show for me throughout my life. Um, you know, I just produced it, directed it, and starred in it, in wow. the, you know, last year. And that was the fourth time I had been in the show. So it's mm-hmm. been this really interesting journey for me. And I remember the first time I was in that show was my freshman year of college. And, you know, I'd come from Alabama, uh-huh. you know, this like little boy from like 4,000 people, you know, in the middle of the woods in Alabama. <laughs> and I went to this like New England school And it was funny because, you know, that was part of my journey of, you know, coming out and Mm -hmm. being really like accepting who I was. Right. And the cool thing about the MC and Cabaret is that role kind of allowed me to finally be me, mm. you know, and sort of like explore these things that I, that have been kind of suppressed throughout yeah. my growing up. And, you know, my family's super supportive sure. and loving, but I'd come from like, you know, a very closed-minded, right. small Southern town, experienced bullying and all that yeah. stuff in high school. But it was like, it was part of what really defined me. Mm. Um, and then interestingly enough, you know, Cabaret has kind of reinstated itself like, I don't know, every five years wow. throughout my life until this point. And then this last time when I did it in Serenby, um, it just felt like this sort of like the stars have aligned. Mm-hmm. It never one point nervous or questioned anything I was doing in the process. It just felt really perfect, you know? Mm, that's I think so it's, cool. Well, you know, as near perfect as it can be. But, um, yeah. Yeah, they, but it was it was more about really accepting who I was mm-hmm. and being in my own body and not apologizing. You know, I yes. think that a lot of times artists and actors – kind of apologize for what they're doing or, you know, I'm, I'm sort of stuck in this I'm an artist thing. But yeah. I was like, no, it was like, I'm really proud of this life I have. This is where I want to be right now. I'm proud to be in this role. This is it, you know. Mm, that's so true. And, you know, the arts are so subjective, too. Yes. And yet we tend to define ourselves so much, especially as art actors or artists or whatever, by all these different opinions, which is crazy. Because they're so subjective. Yeah, you can't, you know, you can't listen to the haters, I Mm -hmm. always say. Um, But also, I really like controversy. Yeah. (laughs) Controversy. Controversy. (laughs) I've either had too much coffee or not enough. Um, Because I'm like a very black and white person. I do not like to live in like a medium gray. I like people to love me or hate me. Mm. I do not need this sort of like, you know, uh, kind of like in the water, you know. But again... I want, I want people to like my product or not like it. You yeah. know, I don't want this to be sort of like, oh, it's kind of for everybody. I was like, no, like I want to do something that really kind of like speaks to people. So I would say I'd like a really good review or a really bad review. Mm. I don't want just like a, oh, 
it was okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I always say there's that, you know, Oscar Wilde quote, you know, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. So I don't mind a little controversy. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I totally get it. I totally get it. When I was, um, I did a blog for years, Parties for Pennies, um, and it's still up. I just don't do it like consistently as much as I did. But I remember all my blogging friends and they would be like, oh my gosh, these hater comments. And I'm like, I haven't gotten one hating, hateful (laughs) comment. (laughs) I'm like, what is wrong with what I'm doing? Right. You're (laughs) like, I really want somebody to dislike me. I really want somebody to say, that looks horrible. I don't know why you did that um but i also think that i wasn't taking chances or taking risks like i needed to so okay so as a performer throughout the years what's been i mean has there been any moment that just was like a horrible performance experience so my first professional gig right out of undergrad i was a cruise ship singer because why not you know and when you're on a ship that's moving Things happen. You know what I mean? So, like, I mean, people would fall. You know, my dance partner, there was this great time where I picked her up and, like, flung her around. And her wig flew off. You know what I mean? Like, we take a a dip. and But the thing that I love about live theater is that when things go wrong, that's when you really see the magic of theater. Or you see actors work on their feet. And then you also see the audience kind of, like, rally behind them mm. and one that recently happened is you know opening night of the little mermaid we get through the the whole show opening night and then for the last song i hear like a pop in the sound system and then i can't hear the actors i was like oh my god something has blown oh and gosh. i don't speak technical i'm just like yeah. i know the sound ain't working <laughs> right. right now and so you look at and you know we've got a live orchestra and they're you can hear them on the side playing barely, but they're not being pumped into the sound system. And then you see the actors on stage just sort of have this moment of like, oh, crap, right. what do we do? And like I keep being like, you know, I'm praying like, oh, God, just yeah. please yeah, let this I'm, come yeah. back out. And yeah. like, you yeah. know, seconds feel yeah. like hours. And then all of a sudden you see one of the actors sort of like pop up from backstage and just start singing a cappella. And then the entire company came together in this moment and sang a cappella for just the final song of the show. And you saw the audience like just rally behind them. You know what I mean? So it's like those little moments like that are what really fuel me because that's something you can't get Mm. in a recorded medium. That's why I love live performance. Yeah. So what do you hope for Serenby Playhouse for the future? You know, I want us to keep growing nationally. That's Mm -hmm. that's where my eye is right now. Um, I think we've done really well in our local market. you know, and, and last year we were just named um, by Playbill one of the top 20 theaters in the country That's to watch. Incredible. Um, so for me, and it, you know, it's not about the praise and all of that, but I think I want to be doing something that people are talking about yeah. and experiencing on a national level because I want to affect more people. You know, so my goal is to get as many people in our audiences as possible and you know, I want people from all over the country, yeah. you know, to see it. You know, something I'm starting to do is I'm starting to work outside of the Playhouse as well, taking, you know, what I do to other communities. Um, so I started this new company, you know, a for-profit venture, Brian Cloudus Experiences, a couple of years ago. So I'm starting to do, like, Sleepy Hollow in Massachusetts. I have a Sleepy Hollow in Ohio this year. Wow. Um, so I'm really trying to take this model of, popping up theater in your backyard or in your community Mm. and showing that theater can live everywhere. You know, you don't need 
millions of dollars in year one to build a facility and create theater. Mm -hmm. You know, theater started outside. So it's this whole movement of trying to get theater back to its roots and show that theater can live everywhere. Or really, mm -hmm. art can live anywhere. You know, yeah. like visual art can be outdoors or indoors. Performance art could happen in this studio right here. Right. You know, there's that fabulous leather couch. Right. You know I, mean? you, yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. a play on that. You <laughs> know what I mean? So it's just really trying to get people out of this tunnel vision moment of opening their eyes to everything around them, you know? Mm -hmm. Tell us um, a little bit about Titanic. Can you talk to us about oh, Titanic? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, so excited about Yeah, that. so Titanic, you know, everybody keeps saying, like, how are you going to top last year, you yeah. know? And uh, so this year we're sinking a ship. Um, <laughs> and we, we just released our um, set design for it. And the whole concept is that the it's a memory play. It's this these creators and these, you know, captains and these survivors and those who passed coming back from the past to tell this story. You know, I, Titanic is such an iconic moment in probably right. one of the most Street, iconic yes. historical moments. You know, everyone knows about the Titanic. So no one's going to be shocked. You know, everybody knows what happened. <laughs> so I don't think we're no trying. No spoiler alert. No there. spoiler yeah. alert there. But um <laughs> For our concept, we went back to the blueprint. So I always say, let's go back to the the base of what everything was. And for me, it was the blueprint of the Titanic. Before that was mm -hmm. built, what did it feel like to pull this blueprint out of this ship of impossible dreams? And so we've recreated a 3D larger-than-life blueprint wow. that is going to basically float in the water. Um, and it's made of scaffolding and metal and pieces that come together and can also deconstruct. It's five stories high. It's a oh hundred. It's a hundred feet long. So that's third the size of a football field. It's a cast of forty, orchestra of twenty, and we're gonna have sections of this ship that come out of the water and also go under the water as well. So you know when we did the casting call, we had to be like, hey, you know, if you can't swim, or right? If you're afraid <laughs> of water, this is probably not the show for you. Yeah. Um, but for me, you know, I wanted I wanted this larger than life epic experience. So yeah, that's Titanic, and we open uh, mid July and then run through mid August. So that's so great. Please come see. Oh, it. I will be there. Uh, I, yes. I will be there. You know, I will totally be there. I love it. I mean, it is such. If you even ask my husband, like, what would be my favorite date night? It's going down to Serenby and watching, Aww. you know, a, a play or musical there. So well, y'all gotta yes. let me know when y'all are coming down. Maybe we yeah. do like a little noon and Target oh, run before. Oh, yes. I'll meet you at the dollar section. There we go. <laughs> Couples therapy. Couples you know? therapy. <laughs> Okay, so Brian, tell us how we can follow along with you. And can I just give a plug? If you like uh, like decorating and stuff too, he just <laughs> he is like renovating this new house, so he's sharing all about it on his Insta story. So it's really fascinating, and I can never do justice to this word, but Brian says it the best that I've ever heard. You know what word it is? How you doing? That and yas. Yas. Oh, those are my two isms. Yeah. See? How you doing and yas. Yeah. I can't say it the same way. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so perfection. <laughs> the crazier you can be, phone. the yas. It's ridiculous. And like, I, I don't really it. say yas like in right? every day, but it's like part of my like social media. I know. Presence, I you know? love yes. it. <laughs> it's so great, Brian. Okay. So, how can people find follow along with you on social media and just keep up with everything that's going on. Yeah, so all of my social media is just my name. I think mm -hmm. I'm like the only Brian Cloudus in the world, that's which is awesome. kind of exciting, but I also have a very unique last name. So yeah, yeah it's just Brian, B-R-I-A-N, and my last name is Cloudus, C-L-O-W-D. 
D-U-S. Um, I'm active on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And then also um, my theater company here in Atlanta is Serenby, S-E-R-E-N-B-E, Playhouse. So yeah. follow us on everything and and keep up with all of our yasses. Yes. <laughs> See, it's bad. It's not, I shouldn't even do it. I don't give it justice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Thanks for Brian. having me here. And I hope that everyone that is listening gets a chance to experience Serenby Playhouse themselves or Brian Cloudus' experience all over the world. Yeah, you know? we're, we're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Come say hi, you darn and yas. <laughs>